Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. My name is Brenda, and welcome to Horrifying History, where you will hear about the unexplained, paranormal, and supernatural happenings that have stained the pages of history. One day, four boys went into the woods looking for bird's eggs. What they found was not bird's eggs. It was a body. Welcome to Episode 75, Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our tale today started as the sun was setting after a beautiful day in Worcestershire, England. It was April 18, 1943, and it was a few years before the end of World War II. Life was very hard for the residents of England during this time. Food and clothing was rationed and in very short supply. Bombing caused people to be very fearful, and often families were separated due to evacuations and people being sent away to war. Those who stayed behind learned to live with uncertainty and hardship. Due to food rationing, fresh protein was in very short supply. The government's Dig for Victory campaign encouraged people to grow their own or forage for food to try to avoid shortages. And this is why on that day, four teenage boys were cautiously working their way through Hagley Woods. This area was on the grounds of Hagley Hall Estate, which belonged to a man named Lord Cabham. The boys were trespassing on these lands, not only to look for game or some bird's eggs to supplement their family's meat rations, but also to take their minds off the terror of the nightly German bombing raids that were causing havoc in Birmingham, which was their hometown. The boys, whose names were Bob Hart, Tom Willits, Fred Payne, and Bob Farmer were all on high alert. The last thing they wanted was to get caught, and it seemed after a while that no one would ever know what the boys did. That was, until Bob Farmer spotted a witch elm, which he thought he could climb in hopes that he would find a bird's nest. So what is a witch elm? 
A witch elm, or a Scots elm, is a tree that is commonly found in Europe and is the most common type of elm tree in the north and western areas of the British Isles. As Bob scaled the tree, he caught a glimpse of something white. He was positive that he hit the jackpot, but soon he realized the horror of what he actually found. As he reached his hand in to try to pull out the object lodged in the middle of the tree, he quickly realized it wasn't an egg. It was a human skull. It still had clumps of human hair clinging to it and its teeth protruded from its jaws. The boys immediately ran from the woods and promised each other that they would tell no one of their discovery out of fear they would get in trouble. But for one of the boys, the horror of their discovery weighed on him. For Tom Willits, the vision of the skull's empty eye sockets ran through his brain all the way home. As soon as he arrived, Tom knew he couldn't keep this secret. He told his parents about what he and his friends found in Hagley Woods. And after hearing his story, Tom's parents immediately called the local police. The police rushed to the scene and they cordoned off the area. Inside the large tree, police found a woman's skeleton. One of her hands was missing, but the bones from this hand was found scattered around the tree. Police also found an imitation gold ring and size five and a half crepe-soled shoes a short distance away. So what are crepe-soled shoes? It's a type of rubber-soled shoe that was mostly found in more casual style of shoes. Legend tells us that the crepe sole was originally designed for British servicemen in the North African desert, and these soles were usually combined with suede uppers to create a lightweight and breathable shoe. Police also found scraps of poor quality clothing hanging from the skeleton's bones. They further found that a piece of taffeta fabric was stuffed into the victim's mouth, which told police that she was suffocated. The remains were brought to Professor James Webster, who was the region's medical examiner. He concluded that the remains belonged to a woman approximately 35 years of age. She had irregular teeth in her upper jaw and had light brown hair. The woman was also petite at about 5 feet or 1.52 meters in height. Professor Webster was also able to determine that she had given birth to one child in her lifetime and that she had been deceased for about 18 months before she was discovered. Professor Webster's findings convinced him that the woman did not die by accident, she was murdered. He concluded that the deceased must have been placed inside the tree's trunk before rigor mortis kicked in, since if it set in beforehand, the body would have been just too stiff to fit inside that narrow trunk. Professor Webster also believed that due to this fact, the woman was most likely killed close to the spot that she was found. This was because the killer would not have been able to move the body very far before rigor mortis set in. As Professor Webster stated for the record, and I quote, I cannot imagine a woman accidentally slipping in there, neither do I think it was reasonable for a woman to crawl into that place and commit suicide. He further stated, and I quote again, it was an excellent place for the concealment of a murder and I think it indicates local knowledge. Soon after the discovery of the body inside the witch elm, police started contacting all the dentists in the area in hopes one of them would recognize the very distinct protruding teeth in the skull. Sadly, not one of them recognized the teeth. Next, 
police went through all the area's missing persons reports and hoped that one of them would match the description of the remains they found. Again, no luck. That's when the police started to concentrate on the personal effects that they found at the crime scene. The crepe sold shoes was traced to a vendor called the Waterfoot Company, and investigators were able to find the owners of all but six pairs that were sold from their market stall in a town called Dudley, which is about 11 miles or 18 kilometers away from Birmingham. It was another dead end. Soon, the trail went cold. With all the tragedies of war flooding the news, both the public and police attention drifted away from the case. The woman remained unidentified, and soon this was just another forgotten case that was moved into the archives. But that all changed about six months after the body's discovery, when mysterious graffiti started to appear in the area. It was around Christmas in 1943 when the first message appeared on the side of a house in nearby Old Hill. It was written in chalk, and it said, Who put Lubella down the witch elm? Lubella? This was the first time that any name was connected to the deceased. Then over the next several months, similar messages started appearing in what looked like the same handwriting in various locations in the area. Eventually, the messages evolved to be the phrase, Who put Bella in the witch elm? Immediately, police thought that somebody knew who actually killed Bella, or maybe it was her killer taunting the police. Police reached out to the public, hoping that someone would come forward with the identity of the message writer, or maybe of Bella herself. But no one ever did. Now soon, this mystery gripped the nation. Who was Bella? Who was the author of these messages? Were they the killer? Or maybe there was somebody who witnessed something? Very quickly, some very interesting theories came up concerning this case. One of these that came up very early on was that Bella may have been the victim of a black magic ritual. This idea was pushed by Professor Margaret Murray, who was an Egyptologist, archaeologist, anthropologist, historian, and folklorist. Her interest in folklore led her to develop an interest in the witch trials of early modern Europe, and one of the things that she was best known for was her witch cult theory. According to Professor Murray, Bella's hand being removed from her body and those bones being scattered was similar to an occult ceremony that is known as the Hand of Glory. So what is a Hand of Glory? It is a dried up or pickled hand from a person who was hanged for murder. Many ancient European beliefs attribute great power to a Hand of Glory that is used in rituals combined with a candle that is made from the fat of the same corpse. As the candle is made, it would be lit and placed in the hand of glory. It is said that this would render a person motionless if they were presented with the hand and candle. Now, Professor Murray also came up with another conclusion, that this case was somehow connected to another one that she felt involved witchcraft, the murder of Charles Walton. Charles was an Englishman who was found murdered on the evening of February 14, 1945. On that day, Charles left his home with a pitchfork and a slash hook, which is a double-edged pruning tool. It was said that he was trimming hedges in a field known as Hill Ground on the slopes of Meon Hill. When Charles did not return home on time, nobody was worried. They thought Charles likely was at a local pub or maybe he was visiting friends. But as time passed, without anyone hearing word from Charles, a search was started. 
Charles's body was found near the hedge he was working on. The murderer beat Charles over the head with his own walking stick, cut his neck open with his slash hook, and drove the prongs of the pitchfork into either side of his neck, pinning him to the ground. The handle of the pitchfork was then wedged under a cross member of the hedge, and the slash hook was left buried into his neck. While in the police file, there is absolutely no mention of witchcraft being related to this case. Years later, someone involved with the case mentioned that they thought that this was the result of a pagan ceremony. For years afterwards, rumors said that Charles was a witch whose power scared the locals. They said it was due to Charles practicing black magic. That is why he met his end in such a horrible way. In addition to this supposed connection, Professor Murray noted that the plants called Nightshade and Witch Hazel were located in Hagley Woods. According to legend, these two are also connected to occult practices. She also put forth that Bella was entombed inside a tree versus being buried. According to Murray, this was indicative of a ritualistic slaying and that Bella must have been executed for a crime against her coven. This theory spread like wildfire and is still one of the most favorite theories to this day, but there is a more natural explanation for the amputated hand. It is highly possible that the hand was removed by scavengers and investigators from this case also came to that same conclusion that the bones were spread because of this reason. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then there is the spy theory. During the Second World War, several German spies were captured in the United Kingdom. This is why this case has been linked to espionage. In the fall of 1953, a columnist from the newspaper called the Wolverhampton Express and Star received a letter from somebody who claimed to be Anna of Clapperley. It was dated November 18th, and it stated the following in part, and I quote, my dear Quester, finish your articles R.E. The Witch Elm Crime by all means. They are interesting to your readers, but you will never solve the mystery. The one person who could give the answer is now beyond the jurisdiction of earthly courts. The affair is closed and involves no witches, black magic, or moonlight rites. As much as I hate having to use a nom de plume, I think you would appreciate if you knew me. The only clues I can give you are that the person responsible for the crime died insane in 1942 and the victim was Dutch and arrived illegally in England about 1941. I have no wish to recall any more. On December 21st, the editor of the newspaper sent Anna's letter to the police in Worcester. The police was very much interested and wanted to speak to Anna and then they appealed for this woman to step forward. On December 3rd, 1953, another letter was sent to the newspaper by Anna. This one said, and I quote again, Dear Quester, 
had so much publicity not been given to Anna, I would have contacted you before. I will meet you and the officers at Worcester CID at the Dick Whittington, it is beyond the stew pony from Wolverhampton, tomorrow night, Friday, at about 8 p.m., and maybe I can help them with their investigations if they're still interested, subject to my conditions, which I think they will agree. You, of course, will not advertise this meeting in your press. You have had many wild goose chases during the last few days. Maybe this will be the last or the beginning of many. Who knows? At the Whittington, they have a bar on the left side of the entrance called the Priest's Hole. Sincerely, Anna. Now, sadly, there are no clear records of what happened at the Whittington pub on the night of December 4th, 1953. But there is a newspaper article that was written by the columnist on January 16, 1958. He said he was sworn to secrecy by the police, but after he saw an interview on television that stated that Anna had been identified, he felt that he could go forward with his recollections of that night. In the article, the columnist claimed that Anna was afraid to go forward due to the facts that she gave to police involved a relative. She said that this relative was present when Lou Bella died and that her relative came to her on a date that was consistent with the estimated time of death for Lou Bella. She said that her relative was driving in a car with two male companions and Lou Bella. She collapsed for an unknown reason, so they stopped the car. They believed that she was dead, so after driving for some time, they ended up in Hagley Wood. This is where they carried the body out of the car and stuffed it into the witch elm. Anna then said that her relative left wondering if maybe he was suffering from hallucinations. The following night, the relative returned to Anna's house to tell her it was true. He went back to the witch elm and he confirmed that the body was in the tree where they put it. So why was this relative so terrified? Well, allegedly, the relative did not trust the two males in the car that night. He believed that one of them was actually a German spy and that both of them were asking him questions concerning the locations of ammunition, weapons, and airplane factories. Soon after telling his companions about these factories, one of them was heavily bombed. The relative believed that Lubella had entered the country illegally in 1941 and was working for a spy on a secret mission. He thought that the woman and the spy had a falling out or perhaps that she knew too much and she was murdered by the two men. After confessing these details to Anna, the relative soon had a nervous breakdown. He was committed to a mental institution and that is where the relative died soon afterwards. The thing is with this article, many people thought that perhaps the author added a whole lot of drama to this tale to sell more newspapers. Now, interestingly, police did take a signed statement from a woman named Una Hainsworth. It is unclear when she made the statement, but it is believed by many that it took place in December of 1953. In the statement, Una said she was married to her husband Jack in 1932 when he was a pilot for the Royal Air Force. In 1940, a Dutch man she called Van Ralt came to their home. She did not know what Van Ralt did for work, but she suspected that he may have been a spy. This was because he had a lot of money, and there was many times that her husband carried a lot of money after he would meet with Van Ralt. In either March or April of 1941, Una claimed that her husband came home agitated and asked for a drink. 
After giving him one, he confessed he was at a pub with Van Ralt and a Dutch woman who was acting kind of awkward. They left the pub in Van Ralt's car with Una's husband driving. The Dutch woman was sitting beside the driver and she soon fell towards Una's husband. After telling Van Ralt that she passed out, Van Ralt gave him directions of where he was supposed to drive to. After they reached the forest, Van Ralt then shoved the woman into the tree, saying that she would come to her senses the following morning. It was then that the husband went home while still driving Van Ralt's car. Una then continued her statement, saying that between April to December of 1941, her husband was extremely drumpy and he was drinking way more than normal. She also noticed that he hardly went to work, but he had much more money than usual. This is when she became suspicious that he was getting money from Van Ralt. He also started leaving home for days at a time without telling his wife when he was going to go away. Una decided to leave her husband in December of 1941, and she saw him on three occasions when she attempted to get her possessions from their home. During the last time she saw him, Una said that her spouse told her that he was losing his mind. He kept on seeing the woman in the tree who was leering at him wherever he went. He told her he thought he was going crazy. Then in June of 1942, she heard that her ex was taken to a mental hospital. He died there two months later. Una stated that she did not hear about the Witch Elm murder until she saw newspaper coverage of it. After reading about possible witchcraft connections, she decided to write the columnist and sign the letter with the fake name of Anna. She felt she needed to speak up due to the newspaper was asking for further information, but she didn't want her past dragged through the press since she was poorly treated by her ex-husband. She was also remarried with small children and she didn't want them to be affected by all of this, but her statement brought up a whole lot of questions. Was Una's husband involved in a spy ring with a Dutchman named Van Ralt? How did Bella actually die? Did she collapse due to she was given some sort of toxic substance? Or maybe did Una's husband or Van Ralt kill her? Why was she killed? Did Bella know too much? If she had only passed out due to being drunk, why did Van Ralt shove her into a tree? If they thought she was going to wake up in the morning like nothing ever happened, why did she have taffeta shoved into her throat? Years later, declassified MI5 files gave some support to the possible spy theory. These files gave information about a German spy named Joseph Jacobs, who was captured after he broke his ankle while parachuting into Cambridgeshire in 1941. After Joseph's arrest, a worn photo was found in his pocket of a German actress and cabaret singer named Clara Bowerly. Joseph said that Clara was his lover and that the Nazis recruited her to be a spy. He last heard that his love parachuted into the West Midlands in 1941 and he never heard from her again. Many people believe that Clara was Bella in the Witch Elm, but there are many who are very skeptical of this. Why? Well, if you remember, the medical examiner who examined Bella's remains said that she was approximately five feet or 1.52 meters tall. Clara, on the other hand, was about 5 foot 10 inches or 1.78 meters tall. In addition to this, researchers discovered in 2016 that Clara died in a Berlin hospital in December of 1942. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now that we told you some of the more dramatic theories about what happened to Bella, the next theory is not as exciting, even though concerning the times, it's extremely reasonable. Many people speculate that Bella was likely a person who was considered to have a transient lifestyle. This would make her very hard to trace and not necessarily noticed in death. Considering that the war displaced many people, it makes logical sense that Bella could have been one of those individuals. In August of 2014, a broadcast done by BBC Radio 4 implied that Bella was actually a lady of night who was working the streets near Hagley Road. Many locals, though, have a different belief. Since gypsies were camping in the vicinity of Hagley Woods at this time, many people believe that Bella was one of them and was likely murdered by one of her own community. But then, there's another idea, that maybe Bella was a local barmaid who was killed by an American soldier. And then there's a theory that Bella was actually homeless, and she had no loved ones or family to report her missing. As we mentioned before, considering the times, any one of these rumors could have a hint of truth. But realistically, there is no concrete evidence to support any of these thoughts, and many think with all the time that has passed, it is highly likely that we'll never learn who Bella actually was and how she ended up into a tree. But that may not be the case. In 2017, forensic anthropologist Caroline Wilkinson was approached by authors Alex and Pete Merrill. They asked if it was possible if she could recreate a digital representation of Bella's face using photographs of her skull. Caroline, who performed this same task for many criminal cases as well as archival reconstructions, quickly agreed. Using the information that they had concerning her age and her height, as well as doing in-depth studies of available images of the skull, Caroline and her colleagues at the Face Lab at Liverpool John Moores University were able to recreate facial features based on this information. So some of you are likely asking, why did Caroline not use the skull itself? Well, the reason is that after the skull was moved around in storage for years, authorities couldn't find it to use it as a source. According to the West Midlands Police, they conducted searches and they confirmed that they could not find the exhibits and no documentation that relates to the case. The skull's current whereabouts is not known. This did affect the results. Photographs are 2D, which means the planes of the image are flattened. This can result in a bit of a loss of perspective. It also can omit details like how deep the eye sockets were. But even with these limitations, the photographs were able to give great clues like how her nose was pointed, how thick her lips were, and what the shape of her jawline was. Another thing that was shown was Bella's very distinctive teeth. Normally in these types of reconstructions, the resulting picture is shown with a closed mouth. 
But in Bella's case, they made the decision to show her teeth since due to her protruding upper teeth, her mouth would have sat slightly open at rest. Modern DNA testing could solve the mystery of who Bella was once and for all. But sadly, it isn't just that Bella's skull is missing, it's her entire remains. What is known that following Bella's autopsy, Professor Webster gave her remains to another professor to study. It's not clear when Bella's skeleton went missing, was it from the medical school or if it even went back to police's hands. But to date, no one has been able to find the remains that could be used to give Bella back her identity. The closest we can come to any possible identification at this time is by the facial reconstruction done by Carolyn Wilson. It seems for now that Bella's identity is lost to time. But that doesn't mean that she was forgotten. The graffiti that started appearing in the Christmas season of 1943 was not an isolated incident. As recent as 1999, an obelisk on the Hagley Hall estate was defaced by somebody who wrote the question of who put Bella in the witch elm. The difference between this message and the others in the past was the spelling of the word witch. In past messaging, it was spelled W-Y-C-H as in the tree, and in this message, it was spelled W-I-T-C-H as in witchcraft. Did the person make a spelling mistake, or were they trying to send a different message? Today, that obelisk is now surrounded by barbed wire fencing, and the graffiti, it hasn't been removed. The current owner of Hagley Hall, Lord Cabin, says the reason behind this is he's afraid to further damage the fragile obelisk if anyone would try to remove it. Then, as late as 2016, an unknown person hung a cardboard sign on the fence that surrounds Hagley Woods, asking the very same question. As much as it's doubtful that these acts were done by individuals that know something about the case, it does show something very important. Even though we don't know who Bella was or how she ended up in that tree, she will not be forgotten. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you all for joining me for our latest episode of Horrifying History. Who do you think Bella was, and how do you think she ended up in the Witch Elm? Join us on Facebook at Horrifying History, Instagram at Horrifying underscore History, on Twitter at Horrifying HIST1, or reach out to us by email at HorrifyingHistory at Outlook.com and tell us your thoughts on this strange case. Now, if you haven't done it yet, please remember to hit the subscribe button for this podcast. When you do, not only do you let other people know about this show, but you download our next episode on its day of release. It's a great way not to miss our next episode, Family Curses. Also, if you would love to take home a piece of horrifying history, you need to check out our store. You will find some great items by going to redbubble.com and search for horrifying history in their search box. Thank you all for listening again today. And until next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.